I'm sure we've heard My Sharona on the radio um, a lot, you know, and, uh, you know, of course, we'd hear the radio, we'd get, we'd, we'd get off a plane. I didn't listen to the radio a whole lot at home, but we were on tour constantly uh, in 78 and 79, and uh, 79 was a big year for the cars, and it was also the year of the knack. And um, so, you know, you'd get out of the car, you'd get out of the plane, and um, get in the limos to go to the hotel, and you'd listen to the radio, and of course they'd be advertising the show you're about to play, and it was all very exciting, and you'd hear the cars, and inevitably you'd hear My Sharona. And um, so uh, the Billboard charts at that time, uh, those, there was a period there where the Get the Knack was number one, and um, Candio, our second album, was number two. And in those years, we used to do something called the in-stores, which were in-store appearances at the big uh, record chains, like Tower and Peaches and uh, Sam the Record Man up in Canada. You remember those, right? And um, so it was the kind of thing where the band would show up and like thousands and thousands of kids would show up to this record store and you'd sit behind a long table with magic markers and they'd buy your album and you'd tear off the shrink wrap and sign them and next, 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 and you know sign thousands of these things. And every record store we went to, there was this life-size cutout of the knack standing there, you know, just get the knack. And, uh, and it was starting to bug us, particularly Rick Okasik, um, because they were number one and we were number two. And, you know, we wanted a number one. It would have been great to have a number one. And so it was just starting to just drive him crazy. It was just like, fuck the knack, you know, this fucking knack. And of course, you know, the, the pictures had this, like, in, in the pictures of the band, like, Doug had this, like, incredible shit-eating grin in, in, like, the main photo that you saw everywhere. It's like this leering grin. And, like, that combined with the fact that they were, like, number one, and, like, everywhere we'd go, we'd, there was these, like, cutouts, like, staring at us while we sat behind these tables. Rick was like, just like, the knack, the knack, you know, it was just driving him crazy, and it was keeping us out of the number one slot. So one of these, one of these radio, one of these uh, record store uh, appearances, we got the local Electra promotion guy to surreptitiously sneak one of these life-size cutouts out of the store and put it in the trunk of, of the car. And we got it back to the hotel, and somehow, we got one of the housekeepers or chambermaids to let us into Rick's room and we tucked the knack into Rick's bed so that all four heads were just like sticking out on his pillow and we just tucked them in and just didn't say anything about it at all. And, uh, you know, we, we probably went straight to sound check from this record store and when we came back, you know, Rick opened the door and the knack were in his bed and he was just like, ah, the knack, you know, he just drove him absolutely crazy and we were just like, you know, we were just Tears rolling down her eyes with laughter. It was just so funny, you know. right now just like you are well <laughs> i think you're 
I don't know, man. I think maybe uh, you got it a little worse than I do. Um, chewing antibiotics and pounding Bud Light. Oh, yeah? Yeah. That's a good combination. Yeah. I hope you feel better soon, man. Thank you, brother. Thank you. We're uh, talking about the knack. Get the knack. Did you get it? Did I get what? The knack? Yeah. <laughs> I still have the vinyl. I think I got it from you, man. Yeah. Yeah, I used to listen to that. I used to lay on the floor between the dining room table and that little stereo we had, and I had the headphones on because my Uh grandparents were watching the news, and I would just crank them albums, and that was one of them I used to listen to over and over. Wow. Yeah. So so you were familiar with the songs when you heard them again? Yeah. You know, the little melodies started to come back. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's a movie. Um, I couldn't find any reference to it, but there's a movie. Um, Let's see. I I wonder if they got their name from the movie. Let me see if I can find it. Speaking of that, while you're looking at that, I was watching an old Stooges yesterday. It was like uh, from 1950. 43 uh-huh. or something like that and then when they came riding in on the horses these chick goes here they come they're head bent for leather and I was like oh, oh no that's... way yeah and I was like I always thought you know that was like something that you that used to must have been an old saying back then it wasn't hell bent it was head bent for leather uh... and I don't know if that had to do with riding horses like your head was bent down and maybe because you were um uh, wrangling cows or whatever, maybe that's the leather part. But uh-huh. I was like, oh shit! But then if you look on Turner Classic Movie Channel, uh-huh. yeah, and and just look in the guide and just go through the names, they got all these, you know, names that are like used in like rock and roll and stuff. You know, Raiders and uh, just they have all these really cool names for these black and white old movies back then. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I just thought that was I thought that was pretty cool. That's that's really interesting. Yeah. Um I never I, I don't know that I ever knew about that. Um So there was a movie called The Knack and How to Get It. It's a British film from 1965. Um that's probably where they got it. Yeah, I think so. I think I watched it once. I think it was kind of um it was sort of uh it's a sexual thing a sexual revolution kind of uh-huh. um, movie like kind of capitalizing on on that you know commenting on it or whatever uh-huh. but anyway so i I just thought of that um, it wasn't in my notes, but i I saw it today and I meant to look it up to see if that's where they got the name from but i I don't see any reference to that, but I mean it's called the net i mean it seems to me like they would that that's it and they uh they were you know trying to do like a 60s revisionist sort of thing you know the group the knack yeah yeah maybe that's why they used a a movie title or you know borrowed a a name their name from a movie from the 60s i don't know yeah it makes sense yeah 
So um, I got like a lot of notes. I took a lot of notes. I mostly just copied stuff. I read a bunch of stuff and copied a bunch of stuff. And I have a bunch of facts about <laughs> songs and stuff. So I don't know. That's good um, because I only have like a few couple lines on each song. Yeah? Yeah. I wanted to do this album because <clears throat> I think that that song, My Sharona, is like the biggest song of my childhood that I can think of. Do you think, do you agree with that? Or do you think there are bigger ones as far as like smash hits, like rock and roll hits? I agree with you on the fact that it was, uh, yeah, it was like one that everybody liked, you know, and uh-huh. everybody got into. And uh, it was kind of the bridge between the seventies and the eighties. Mm-hmm. You know, it kind of ushered in the, uh, you know, the pop rock kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, but I agree with you. Yeah, it was huge, huge. Yeah. And I never got sick of it. I mean, that song was just fucking great. I mean, I read uh, somewhere I was reading about the riff, you know, it's like the riff is part of it. Even, not even the... I mean, along with the riff is the drum beat with the flam on the snare. And I think uh, the drummer said, like, that flam on the snare is part of, or someone said that that flam on that snare is part of why that song was a hit. And I agree, if it didn't have that, I mean, it wouldn't really be anything. What's the flam? For that beat. When, you, when you hit, like, two, like, pow, pow, instead of just pow. I don't know. One of the times it's it's got like uh-huh. a, a double hit, you know. Yeah, do do tat tat do tat. Yeah, yeah. No, but I mean one of the. It's like when you hit it twice, like right away, like bam, you know. Uh huh. Yeah, anyway. Peter Peter Chris does that too sometimes. Yeah, yeah I sure. noticed. Yeah. Yeah, but um, I. Anyway, so that that song was such a huge song for me. Like I, I, I think that um, the only other song that was that big in my lifetime that I can remember that was rock and roll was "Smells Like Teen Spirit." And what's interesting about that is that Kurt always said that The Knack was one of his favorite bands, and it's interesting to me that he kind of repeated their success with a song you know like he uh-huh. like he targeted it or something like he willed it i don't know it's really kind of interesting to me how huge that song was too you know like right it was it was 11 only 11 years later really when you think about it, it seems like it would have been a lot later but it was only. are you serious that's it yeah because their song was 79 and his was like 91 oh wow it's crazy, huh? Yeah. And he also cited Cheap Trick as a huge influence, which I think is cool. And which is what I hear, I hear Cheap Trick all over the neck. Oh, you do? Yeah. Yeah, dude. That's what yeah. I was going to say. Um, you know, it's kind of like people say that they're like the Beatles, that they were trying to be the Beatles and, they, and the record company tried to market them as being like a new mm-hmm. Beatles. But they really are like a traditional power pop band, which 
Cheap Trick was too. I don't know who the first power pop band was, but there's a band called the Raspberries. I don't know if you ever listened to them. My friend turned me on to them. He's a little older than me and he's really into rock and roll. My friend uh-huh. Anthony. And he, he turned me on to them. Like the first night I went over to his house and we hung out and listened to records. He was like, you got to hear this band if you haven't heard them. And, and the drums are really like active a lot like bunny carlos and a lot like the snack drummer uh-huh. it's the same style like and it's really when really what it is is like keith moon style drumming over a really catchy poppy song right like that's like the power pop thing and they're doing that and you know that's like a i don't know what other bands there are that did it but the, but you know, a lot of people are just really into like power pop and that's like their thing. It's a genre. It's like a subgenre, and the, all the bands sound like that. They all, they all have like really like active, like crazy drumming. Yeah. And so, um, I, I find myself listening to the drum. I'm sorry. Go ahead. That's just something I noticed listening to the album that I never really was aware of because I wasn't aware of that style being a thing when I was younger. Like I didn't, I didn't get it. I, it didn't catch my ear. Until, right. You know, after I heard all these other bands and started to realize that power pop has like a certain sound and the drums have a certain style and like that guy just play, fit right into that style. Yeah, and I find myself listening to him, like concentrating on him. Mm-hmm. You know, I listened to this whole album a few times and through the whole album I was really blown away by how he drives everything and changes tempos and right. You know, yeah yeah it's it's really great um so there's some stuff i didn't or maybe i forgot or didn't know but um doug figer the singer and guitarist came from uh detroit he came to la and he met the guitarist burton avere avere Avere. and and they wrote together and then they hooked up with the the drummer Bruce Gary and the bass player Nile Prescott Niles, okay, whatever, just to name the people to credit them. But mm-hmm. they they got together um in like seventy eight. Their first show was in seventy eight. But within months, this is from Wikipedia, I think, their their live within months of their live debut, um, popular nightclubs on the Sunset Strip. Uh, they were doing guest jams with Bruce Springsteen, Tom Petty, Raymond Zarek. Like they were, they had like all these like celebrity fans, like within just a few months. Wow. So they were like, there was a bidding war for them and they decided to sign with Capitol Records. Oh, wow. Pretty crazy, man. Yeah. And they were really tight. Like the one thing I noticed about the record is that the, the band is fucking tight. Yep. You know? Because you know they're they pretty weren't tight doing pro tools. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's no quantizing in that shit. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Right. So uh, there's a documentary called Getting the Knack, which I'd love to see. I never saw it, but um, I was going to try who to watch that? it today, but I didn't have time. Huh? Where do you, Who has that? I don't know. I didn't. I didn't really figure out where I could watch it. I rent movies okay. on YouTube a lot if I really want to see something. Uh-huh. It's usually like three dollars or four dollars. Uh-huh. Um, I was gonna see if I could rent it on YouTube, but I I didn't have time. Okay. Because I just found out about it today, 
and I was working, but um, um, Stephen Stills also is someone who jammed with them. Who? Stephen Stills. Oh, really? Yeah, that's what it says. Oh. Um, I literally know nothing about the neck. What? I know nothing about the neck. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, the only thing I knew about him is because I read the story of my Sharona because there was something in the LA Weekly about it a few years ago. Uh-huh. So, you know, I didn't look at that article. I think that article is probably better than the article I read today, but I, I took some notes on on the thing that I read today. Um, but it's just basically the same story, but we can get to it when we get to that song. Because okay. it's mostly about that song, but... um it was one of the most successful debuts in history. It sold over a million copies in less than two months. It spent amazing. five weeks at number one. Um, and My Sharona was number one for six weeks. Um, I don't know. It, it's not as big as I thought, you know, like six uh-huh. weeks. Um they had a Good Girls Don't was a follow up single got to number eleven, which I never knew that. I never knew they had a follow up single, um, and it got to be number one in Canada, which is kind of interesting. Okay, but the album only ranked sixteen, number sixteen, I think, in, in Billboard at the end of the year. So that's kind of weird too for nineteen seventy nine. Seems like. Um, it seems like it would have been better because that song was so huge, you know? Right. But I guess like Nirvana, which is really interesting, there was a, a there was a backlash against them. So like some dude in in uh, San Francisco started a campaign called Nuke the Knack and he spelled nuke with a K, K N U K E. And and he was like handing out uh T shirts and buttons and stuff. Um, what was his problem? I don't know, man. He he's they were so overhyped. <clears throat> um, oh, just jealousy. I thought I'll do something that's kind of obnoxious and kind of funny. Then it then it just snowballed. So I don't know. I mean, you know, same thing happened with Nirvana. I mean, I remember. I mean, Nirvana for me. I don't have Nirvana derangement syndrome like a lot of people our age or older. Uh-huh. They like flipped. I don't know how you feel about them. But I fucking no, I like when I when I heard Nirvana, I was like, that dude fucking did it because I was so not into the '80s stuff. At the end of the '80s, I stopped playing rock and roll. I stopped paying attention uh-huh. to it. I hated it. I hated the production. I hated the hairstyles. I hated the way that people were playing the guitar. I hated everything, man. I hated Warren and all that bullshit. I hated uh-huh. it, you know. And and uh. And we weren't in touch at that point, but, and so I started just playing classical guitar. I didn't pay any attention. And then that Nirvana album came out and I was just like, fuck, you know, like, I was like, he fucking did it. He did. He, he fucking just like created something and, and just propelled past all that crap, you know, Yep. Yeah. changed everything. And, and it was simple and it was catchy. Yeah, it was so and, and the words catchy. were clever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it rocked, but it wasn't like you're saying like '80s rock, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel the same way. 
That's cool. So, you know, um, I forgot where I was going with that. <laughs> I forgot what, what led me to Nirvana. Uh, Nukanak um, and the anti oh, oh, movement. The ant, yeah. So even me, like as much as I liked him, I was like when when all the – and even Kirk felt that way about all these frat guys who were listening to him and shit. He was like, these are people that wouldn't have – these are people who would have kicked my ass when I was in high school, you know? Uh-huh. These preppies and shit. And so um, he didn't like a lot of his audience either. And um, so, you know, it's like it kind of – I don't – I have my own theories about what happened to him when he died, but um, – the, the official stories that you know he he just couldn't handle the yeah that it was just like he he hated what he had become because it, he was like playing the forum you know and he was a punk rock band but he was playing the forum but you know when you think back like so did so did fucking the clash you know they were a punk rock band and played like madison square garden and uh-huh. shit. so it's not like there it wasn't there wasn't a precedent for it, but I was very, I was not into them on their second album. I was like, fuck them. I remember making fun of them when they played the the forum and then the dude was dead. And then like, I thought twice about it and I felt really bad. Uh, I started to read about him and stuff, but um, I, I, I see the parallel between those two bands. And it's just weird to me that Kurt was really influenced by them. It's almost like he had a target. He's like, I want to do that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you don't hear it musically. Maybe, no. no you somebody, know. somebody did a, a page where they're like, which Nirvana song sound like the Knack? I didn't even listen to the examples because I was like, I mean, if they do, it's just real subtle. It's like the bass part or something, you know? It's like, uh-huh. But... I think it's just that he, I hear Cheap Trick in some of his hooks for sure. Um, I definitely do, but um, I don't hear the knack either. Other than like drum hooks and riff hooks that that come in from time to time. Right. But um, I don't know. I just, I just think my Sharona is like, no one talks about it anymore, but it was like, it was, it was an amazing song. I never got sick of that song. I'm still not sick of that song. If I hear it, I just want to crank mm-hmm. it up. Yeah. And I, and I read, you know, I was listening to, I really love that. I really love Elvis Costello. And even when I was a kid, I loved his voice. I love Elvis Costello. And yeah. that song, Pump It Up, uh, yeah. is uh-huh. kind of similar to this yep. groove. Yeah, and I uh-huh. thought that Pump It Up came out after, but Pump It Up came out before this. And no Pump way. It Up actually influenced my Sharona. Yeah, which is no kind of, way, I read that because I wasn't aware of Pump It Up until after. I'm pretty sure. Me too, man. I didn't. I yeah. I thought it was like an '80s song. Yeah, and when I heard it, and it's got that same G. You know how you can tell the grooves that are in G. Mm-hmm. You just hear G, and you go, "Oh, that's a." Groove and G, yeah, and mm-hmm. pump it up. It was always, I think it's in the same key too. But it might um, be, I don't remember. Yeah, but um, that that same kind of, doo, 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 you know, that groove that you just love. Yeah, yeah it's interesting, man. That song is great. That song. Yeah. Great. But um, 
same kind of slam on the drums and you know it's like so i don't i don't know um i don't know how maybe they said it afterwards but i just read it today i don't know if it was the drummer or the guitar player who said that uh that that song helped influence it but, well cool anyway um So we, I don't know, you want to, let's uh, they record their album in two weeks. They marketed them as the new Beatles. Um, I think the production is really good. The Part of what I hate about the 80s is the production. I hate uh-huh. the fucking production in the 80s. And like this one was still dry, like still, they didn't put all the reverb on and shit. And it still sounded mm-hmm. like a, a, a really great produced album. Like Do you know who produced album. it? Yeah, Mike Chapman. Did he? Do we know him from other stuff? Blondie is one band. Uh huh. It's probably the biggest other band that he did. Okay. Um. Yeah. I can't remember the other band. There's another band that he did, but I don't. Oh, what's that girl's name? Um, she's kind of like, kind of a rock and roll. Uh, I never was aware of her until recently. Um, she, she was kind of like before Joan Jett, but she was similar to Joan Jett. Like a runaway? Before them. Um, let's see, what did he do? Mike Chapman. Um, Blondie, the Knack, Blondie again. Uh, he did a lot of bands. Oh, Susie Quattro is the, is the girl that she was kind Susie of. Susie Quattro wasn't she on Happy Days? <laughs> was she? I don't. Maybe. Yeah, she played Leather Tuscadero. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah, she was on Happy Days. She played the bass, and she like had her had her band. Wow, you know, there was, that's there cool. was Pinky, there was Pinky Tuscadero, and then her little sister Leather Tuscadero, and wow. it was Susie Quattro. Yeah, I was listening to an interview with uh, I think it was Ron Howard or no Henry Winkler, and uh, he didn't like the chick that played Pinky Tuscadero. They didn't get along. Oh. Yeah, you're right. There it is. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's really interesting. She looked like a Joan Jett with a bass. Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so she was like, you know, before Joni. I never knew that she was had music out. I just always thought that that was a part she played. Yeah, I... You know me, I didn't have a TV most of the time when I was a kid. So yeah. I never got, I used to love that show, but I never got to watch it very much. Uh-huh. Um, anyway, so should we go, you want to yeah. look at the songs? Do you know mm-hmm. the songs? So let, let Me Out, that's when I totally hear the vocals to me totally sound like Cheap Trick. Yeah. 
you know, it's like they're double tracker, let me out. It, even the, you know, the groove and the hook and everything to me is just like, oh, wow, it's like I'm listening to Cheap Trick. Huh. Not That's in really a bad cool. way. Not in a bad no, way. No, no, no. No, no. The way the vocals I, are right in your, right up there, right up front in your face. Uh-huh. Yeah. I gotta listen to it again and, and see if I hear that. Yeah. I definitely hear it in the drums on that one for sure. Yeah. The drums are Especially when he sings, let me out, come uh-huh. get me out. That's it. I can't sing. I'm all yeah, fucked I hear up. You. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Huh. Um. I don't have the set list. I only took notes on the songs I liked, so I skipped. Them oh, all. I got them all. I got them all in the row. <laughs> so go ahead. <laughs> well, on that, I got uh, you know, it's a good groove. The drums are driving and the vocals are tight. Yeah. And yeah. Do you have any more on that song? No, that that okay. was my thing. It's like the drums are just. It was a great opener. Uh-huh. It's fucking, you know, it just hits you in the face. It's, um, the second track is your number or your name, mm-hmm. which to me sounds a lot like uh, bu- kind of Buddy Holly, Buddy Holly. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. So That's after cool. after that is Oterra. Mhm. That's a good groove. And I put, a, I kind of put stars by the ones that I remembered. Yeah. At you know that stuck, you know how you have it's kind of like that muscle memory. Uh-huh. So it it was that one, Oterra, Selfish, uh-huh. and uh, Frustrated. But the the next one after that is Selfish. That to me kind of reminded me of the Cars. Wow. Um, real real easy to listen to. It's got some uh. You know, some clever tempo changes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it changes tempo a few times during the song. So that's what I have on that. There was a rivalry between the Knack and the Cars because the the, the Knack was number one and the Cars were, like, number two. Their, their Scandio album had just come out. Uh-huh. So they were... I was going to... Uh, well, it'll probably be that I play the clip of Elliot Easton telling the story because there's a funny story that he tells. On, I found it on YouTube. Oh, um, I'd like to hear so that. I think, yeah. I think I'll open the show with that because it's pretty cool, um, pretty funny story he tells about that cool. being jealous. Jealous of the knack. And Rick Ocasek getting all pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So after that is maybe tonight. Mm-hmm. And they have some backwards hi hat going on in there, like the Beatles did. Oh and that's yeah. That's got some good. That's got some good tempo changes in it too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Can we keep going? Yeah, go for it. I don't really okay. have any notes until okay. the next one. <laughs> okay, Good Girls. Mm-hmm. That's the last song on side one. Yeah. And that's super teeny bopper. I mean. Yeah, no. that, that's their number eleven follow up. Went to number eleven. It was a follow-up single. Oh, okay. Now, why do you think that? Was there? Do you think there was any strategy to putting My Sharona on side side two? It didn't. That didn't matter, right? I don't know, man. Mike Chapman says when he first heard him play, he was like, "That's a number one hit." He told him. Uh huh. And I understand it. I mean, it's so fucking good. How can you not? I know. How can you not hear that? You know. I mean, I I don't know if those guys would have 
I don't know if they would have even got signed if they didn't have that song. I don't know. I don't feel like the other right. songs are that strong, you know? Like, that song is so fucking strong. And and as they compare them to the Beatles, they don't really have the Beatlesque uh, chromaticism in their writing. Like, it's not really that catchy, you know? Right. Like, it's it's cool, but it's not that catchy. It's not like Beatles catchy. Except for My Sharona, but My Sharona is like kind of a quirky song, like in that the riff has a lot to do with it, and it's it's not it's not like harmonically that interesting, you know. I don't think. Right, but you got the my 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 my. Right, there's like, yeah, like there's hooks that are different types of hooks, but they're not. It's not like a Beatlesque kind of kind of hit. Yeah. Because all their songs have like unique chord progressions and really beautiful melodies and mm-hmm. you know like deep melodies that you could play on like an orchestra can play it or you could play yeah. on a classical guitar or whatever and it's like a you know you can play my Sharona in an orchestra you know I don't think you could play any of their songs in an orchestra so I don't think it really fits that they're like the Beatles I think they kind of kind of shoehorned that in. I don't, I don't think just in terms really. of like the the instant popularity or something, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I mean like the video they tried to make them look like the look like With the, the black and white. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah, I think the Meet the Beatles album cover, I don't I didn't look at it, but I read that they mimicked the Meet the Beatles album cover on their album cover, I forget the name. Oh. So it's like huh. a on purpose. They did it on purpose. Oh, meet the Beatles, get the neck. Hmm. There you go. There you go. And yeah. also, um, yeah, I didn't even think of that. It's weird. Um, I forgot what I was going to say. They talk about it. They Even even the guys in the band say that they were trying to do that. So it's it's kind of weird. I don't know. Now, that singer, he... He died of cancer or something, right? He died of something. Yeah, I think it was cancer. Yeah. It's too bad. Too bad, yeah. Um, so the so, next song is, is uh, the big one. Yeah. And that song's got everything on it. Drums. Is there a bass solo in that song? I don't think there's a... You know, there might be a breakdown with just bass. Why did I write bass? I think I meant badass solo. Well, yeah, there's a badass solo. And you know what <laughs> sucked? A long-ass solo. What sucked is it, if you when you heard it on the radio, it was always all cut up. But it's that's still, what, yeah. It's, yeah, it still kicked ass. But that's another thing that was cool about it is when you put that yeah. song on, it was a long song. And that kind of took you on a journey with a bunch of different parts and a bunch of different hooks mm-hmm. and a badass guitar solo and the way it finally came back in and tied everything together. It was yeah. a cool song to just put the headphones on and just listen to. And you could, you know, it seemed like 10, 15 minutes you listen to that song, even though it's probably, what, six or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's, it's 4.52. I'm looking oh, at four, Okay. And even but, on when they played it on TV, they had to cut the solo up. You know, they didn't cut it up. He shortened it. Yeah, it's a. Did you ever learn that solo? solo, man? Um, 
You know, I was going to, I was, <laughs> I was trying to, I love covers, you know, and I was going to, uh-huh. I was going to try and do like, take my band and just do covers for a while and see like if we got better gigs and, uh-huh. but I connect my friend who, my guitar player, Tim, who, who uh, does a lot of cover stuff. He's like, you got to have three sets, dude. <laughs> I was like, fuck. So I was trying to learn three sets of covers. And three I sets of eight? Or three I sets of ten? Um, I, don't, I don't know. Three hours. Oh, okay. Like three hours. So oh, wow. That is. Um, and so I was trying to learn, you know, I was, I was, my trick is that, because my voice is not very high, my trick is that I move things, I play things in different keys. Uh-huh. So I was learning the knack, I was learning my Sharona, and I was practicing it in a different key. And I think I was starting to learn the solo, because I figured I would play the solo, but I don't think I ever finished learning it, really. But I play along with it and, you know, uh-huh. sort of sort of did. Yeah. But it's great, man. <laughs> it's a great solo. It's a oh, yeah, really good. Solo. Yeah. Yeah. So you have a bunch on that song. That's all I have. So what do you, what do you got? Well, I mean, I don't know how much of this you know, and probably people listening probably know this, but... Um, I, maybe they don't. I don't know. I didn't know it until the LA Weekly article came out a few years ago. Um, but the song, there was a girl named Sharona, and he was obsessed with her. She was like 16 or 17. She tells a story that she was 16 or 17. She doesn't know. She doesn't remember. Uh-huh. But they met like her, what was his girlfriend at the time was friends with her and said, You should meet my boyfriend. He plays in a band. And so he met her at like her work and then he was just like, I'm in love with you. Like from the second he met her, he was like, I'm in love with you. I want to be with you. And he like, I don't know if he stalked her. I mean, they were friends. She would come Uh to their shows and stuff, but he was like, I want to be with you. You know, like we're supposed to be together. And he was like nine years older than her or something like that. Oh, wow. He was like 25 or something. And, um, So he wrote that song about her and played it for her at rehearsal. And she's actually on the single cover on the, on the, on the sleeve of the single, my Sharona, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, the, the 12 inch single or whatever, or maybe it's a small, I don't know what size it is, but maybe it's a 45, I don't know, but it's her um, holding the get the knack album. I think, um, on that uh-huh. on that single cover and uh but they you know they eventually she gave in and dumped her boyfriend cause she was like in love with her boyfriend she told him but like a year later or something they got together and they were together for i don't know maybe a couple of years or a few years i don't know uh-huh. um but he was telling her he was, she was his soulmate from like the second <laughs> and um let's see what does it say I think that I think I don't know if the guys in the band came up with the idea to, to call it My Sharona, but they said that you know they needed a a girl's name that was unique and that and it was a kind of a 
there's a perfect perfect name for that um, and uh that's a that's basically it they were friends for you they stayed friends and when he died she was there like i don't know she was there when he died but she was there with him a lot you know uh-huh. as he was dying and they were close friends for you know the rest of his life and she's now like a famous not famous but she's a successful uh real estate person in like Beverly Hills oh wow and she uses the my Sharona thing as it's kind of her way of getting clients i guess <laughs> <laughs> looks like i don't know if if that's true but um it seems like she might be doing that yeah but uh she she broke up with him eventually and um I don't know how long. Maybe it was like a, only like a year. I don't know. But they stayed friends. So it's kind of interesting. So there's huh. some some song facts that I found that were kind of cool about this song. Um, yeah, he died of cancer in 2010, and she was with him the la- that last week. Oh, wow. And her website, so she has a website. Uh, she specializes in celebrity clientele in, in real estate. And she, on her website, says, from the time Doug and I first met, both of our lives changed forever. It's very rare for two people to have such an impact on each other. The bond we shared is something I will treasure as long as I live. He will always have a special place in my heart. Um what else is there here? That's on her real estate website? Yeah. He says the song was written from the perspective of a 14-year-old boy. It's an honest song about a 14-year-old boy. Huh. Even though he was 25 and she was like 16. <laughs> 17. And Gene um, Simmons, Jimmy Page. Yeah, exactly. Um and there, it's not the only song that was written about her. He says that uh, that's what the little girls do, and she's so selfish. We're all so inspired by her. So this is kind of cool. Weird, Weird Al did his My Bologna cover. Uh-huh. Um, it was the song that kickstarted his career. So um, he he had done a few parodies, but um, when the Knack played somewhere um let's see they played a show at his college in san um san luis obispo it's the same college my dad used to teach at but when i was a little kid when i was really little oh wow really little um cal poly san luis obispo um the knack played a show and al went backstage and introduced himself as the man behind my bologna i don't know how i don't know how they knew about it um Maybe Dr. Mento. Yeah, I think maybe he had sent it to Dr. Mento. That's right. And so Doug Figer said he loved this song and introduced him to the vice president of Capital. And then he got him signed. Like No way. Um, yeah, like fucking, that, that's how he got signed. For a trip. Yeah. Um, 
Man, That's you did some it. deep. You did some deep digging. <laughs> well, I just found. I went to the song, uh, song facts website and looked it up. Uh-huh. That's a, that's about it. Um, so the next song is Heartbeat. Yeah, I didn't write. Must not. You know, I didn't write anything for Heartbeat. I only. I found. It. I go ahead. I found out today it's a Buddy Holly cover, which I didn't know. He didn't write it. Bob Montgomery and Norman Petty wrote it, but it's a great song. Man. That might be the other really good song on the album. I like Frustrated. Yeah. I like I like Siamese Twins, too. Um, I think songs about monkeys I always liked, like, you know, like Monkey Man and Bud Stones and stuff. Uh-huh. I think. <laughs> so, <laughs> songs about monkeys. There's like a really weird, like, cowbell drum beat on that song, which is uh-huh. crazy. Yeah. I like that song. Yeah. And the next one, did you have anything on on Siamese Twins and Monkey and Me? No. Uh-uh. Lucinda. Anything on that one? Uh, I really like the solo to Lucinda. Okay. The guitar solo. And that's kind of all I have on the album. Well, I was going to say about Lucinda, that intro groove, all of a sudden, like I listened to it today and I thought black and black, man. Like it reminded me the tempo and the drums and the guitar riff. It's it's really close to a back and black feel. Uh-huh. And I'm wondering, since it was 1979 and Back in Black came out like the next year, if ACDC kind of was inspired by that groove. I mean, it was like the biggest rock album. Could be. Could be. Yeah. I wonder. I wonder, man. I mean, listen to it and see if you hear it because it's like the same tempo and it's got like so much of the same feel. It's crazy. That's a trip. I didn't, listening to it, it didn't dawn on me. It never dawned on me to, either. I'll have to go back and listen again. Yeah, it's weird. It yeah. only happens like in the intro, and then the, the intro comes back maybe once or twice later in the song. Uh-huh. Um, that's what the little girls do. That one's catchy. Yeah. Um, and I think you hear the Beatles' influence on the guitar chords with those hammer-ons. I don't really know what you call that, but they're doing chords with hammer-ons. Uh-huh. Um, on, hammer on and off. like dang, dang, dang. That's a Beatles thing, but I don't know which Beatles songs do it. Right. Or maybe it's only one, but that's that was the only Beatles thing I really heard and on the whole album. And then there's Frustrated, which he said that's one of your favorite ones. Are ones that I one that I remember. Yeah. Like as soon as, as soon as I heard it again, it's like, oh, I remember that song from from that album. You know, a lot of the other like Siamese Twins and stuff. I didn't remember right. those. Yeah. Yeah. I I remember reading a review of the album, and we were young, right? We were pretty young kids, uh-huh. and and I remember reading that that song was about a blowjob. <laughs> And uh, I didn't really understand how the lyrics were about a blowjob, but uh, the Siamese I, twin? No, frustrated. Oh, frustrated. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so that's I just remember that. I just every time I hear frustrated, I think about that review where they say that the song is about a blowjob. But um, I wrote down that 
I felt like the guitarist sounded a lot like Elliot Easton on this song because he does a lot of kind of country licks. Yeah. Um, but I don't like him as much as Elliot Easton, I think. But then I wrote that I think Elliot Easton had catchier songs to solo over, so that probably helped his soloing be more catchy, you know? It really yeah, kind of depends yeah. on what you're soloing over. Um, I One time a friend of mine asked me to record a solo on a song that she wrote uh-huh. and I couldn't do it. Like the song I just didn't so, grab you in any way. Huh? I, I couldn't fucking solo over these chords. Like it was just so, it wasn't music at all. I was like, I can't do it. Like I, uh-huh. it's not, What'd you tell her? it's the most uninspiring fucking thing I've ever heard in my life. What'd you tell her? I think I told her I couldn't do it. I don't know. Well, the other thing is she wanted me to play like Zach Wilde. And I'm like, I can't fucking play like that. Like, I can't even fake it, you know? Like, I can't do it. I, you know. Yeah. I may have done some sort of thing, which she used to be a real big Randy Rhodes fan. I think I may have done like a Randy Rhodes sort of inspired thing over it. But uh-huh. it really was like, I mean, I, I just was like, this is awful, you know? Like, I can't, it's, I couldn't think of anything for it. It just was, it was just like two chords that were just there, but they didn't do anything for me, you know? Uh-huh. So I think was it, it really rock matters. Song? Yeah, it was like a metal song. Uh-huh. She had like a, a kind of a comedy metal parody sort of band. They were good. They were surely a good band and they had good ideas and they had characters and stuff. And it was funny, but. I, I didn't like the songwriting and th- uh-huh. th- that particular thing was just like, I just could not. <laughs> Maybe that's why she tried to have you solo over it. Well, it was weird. Maybe she knew it needed some magic right there. Yeah, but she had, they had had like some real flashy <laughs> Zach Wilde style guitar players in that band. Like they went from one to the next. Like they, I don't know how they got them, but they, they kept getting like these dudes with like really super long hair. And this is like 2008, nine, 10, you know, uh-huh. like they were just like dudes, like straight out of like guitar. What is that? Guitar school, guitar. Um... Oh, metal shop. No, what's that place in, uh, I don't know why I can't think of it in Hollywood, the, the guitar school that everybody goes to. MIT? I mean, GIT? Yeah, GIT. Like, it's straight out of GIT. Like, they just, they all played, like, Zach Wilde. They all did, like, uh-huh. those those dive bombs and shit. Like, she wanted, like, that stuff. Like, I've Demita never... Charpeggios and shit. Yeah, well, I don't, yeah, maybe. But for sure, like, all that dive bomb shit. Like, I can't fucking play like that. Like, I hate that. I hate yeah. when Randy Rhodes does that shit. I hate when Benny Van Halen does it. I just fucking yeah. hate it. Like, I couldn't do it. I was like, I can't play like that. You just get your guy back because I guess the guy quit or he was crazy or something. Uh-huh. Um, and she was like, I know you're good. I know you can do it. I know you're good. And I was like, you're defining good as playing a certain style that I don't play. So, no, I guess I'm not good. You know, like, I can't do it. <laughs> I can't fucking do it. So, well, I, I think. If, if you ask uh, Ingrid Momstein to pick, like, Paul Gilbert, he can't. Yeah. He ain't gonna be able to do it. If you ask Paul Gilbert to play like Eve Monstein, it ain't gonna be 
you know, that's the, all these guys are really good or whatever play to their strengths. So they kind of yeah. figure out what their strength is, and then they, you know, they capitalize on that. That's how you get all these different guitar players. Yeah. So well, there, there's also a personality thing, too. Like, there's, like, a real – the style she wanted is, like, a real, like – to me, it's not musical. It's more, like, showing off – it's more, circus like – Circus yeah, and it's more like just like look at me, and you, and it's a personality thing that I don't have. Like I don't have, like I like to play fast, and and I like to do, but it's like I have my own thing that I do, and it's not. It's about music. It's not about sound effects and stuff. Right. You know, like I just I. That's when I realized there's like there are certain things that I just can't make myself do. You know. It's like I can't walk into a room and start yelling or like there's certain like if I had to act in a certain way for if somebody said I had to play a certain type of character, I couldn't do it. You know, that's what Uh it felt like. But aside from that part, the the um, the the harmonic material that you're soloing over to me, if you want to make music, it needs to be good. It needs to. It needs to like. There's certain chord progressions that you know you can you just they sound beautiful and and you want to fill it up with notes and you can just like go anywhere in the scale and it just sounds beautiful you know. Uh-huh. But like this was the opposite of that. So I think right. the knack. I guess what I was trying to say from that experience, like I kind of. It was an extreme experience of like a bad chord progression to solo over. Uh-huh. And I couldn't do it. I feel like the knack is like less chordally um, interesting than the cars. And that's why one reason maybe why Elliot sounds better than this guy. Cause yeah. I know this guy's a great guitar player, but, um, and he sounds like he's got the same sort of experience playing country and arpeggio uh-huh. and stuff like that. But he's kind of making the best with what he's got. Yeah. 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 Although he could have wrote better chords, you know, himself probably. Yeah. <laughs> but Rick Ocasek was uh, a genius. Yeah. And what did I write at the end? Doug Doug Figer does some Robert Plant style moaning at the end. So he was really good at that sort of um, sexual, like doing like. I don't know. I think his band was like, I think girls really dug that about them. Uh-huh. Cause he did a lot of that stuff. Yeah. The next album they did the first, what was the first single baby something? Oh, I don't know. I can't remember what it was, but it was, it was like sort of a my Sharona thing, but the little girls understand. Now I wanted this album so bad. The second album, uh-huh. I remember when it came out and that first single was Baby Talks Dirty. Baby Talks Dirty and he, he did something like uh 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 like kind of a Paul Stanley kind of thing. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That was a great fucking song. And I remember wanting that album so bad but I never bought it. And I you know, I listened to it on iTunes and it's it's okay, it's not that great. Uh-huh. But that song is good. That was a good follow-up to my Sharona. Yeah. 
but he's he's good at that kind of sexual sort of you know Robert Plant Paul Stanley kind of yeah sound effect moaning shit <laughs> that's something um, that I couldn't do yeah me either <laughs> he doesn't look like he would be good at it either but I know <laughs> But that's all I have. That's all I got too. So the knack. The knack is done. The knack is uh it's too bad that dude died. It's too bad they you know, didn't I mean they did a bunch of other albums, but it's too bad that they didn't have like an ongoing career. Yeah. Right. They just put out an album every couple of years. I don't know what happened, but um, Do you think their songwriting just wasn't? You know, know, a lot of times it seems like you get these first albums and there are these songs that uh, these guys have worked, you know, years and years on mm-hmm. before they get that first deal. So they put everything into them songs. And then they're kind of, when they get their next album, either they're rushed or they're either kind of just uh, creatively tapped out. I don't know. You know? Yeah. For sure, I don't. I don't know um, what happened. Um, they diminished. They had diminishing chart success. Um, and they had squabbles and shit. I don't know. Um, Did they kick They split up out? in 1982, man. They they broke up. Um, and then he had a new band called Taking Chances, <laughs> which obviously went nowhere. Uh-huh. So they reunited in '86 to play a benefit concert. I don't know. They they did you know a bunch of reunions here and there. They may have done. I know they did some more albums. I don't know if all the members were on those albums, but um, uh-huh. I've never listened to them. He was only 57 when he died. Oh wow. Seems like you get to 57 and you, th- and you think you might have dodged cancer and that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, the riff from My Sharona, the guitar riff, was used in Run DMC's song, It's Tricky, which I never knew. They sued for it. Dun, 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 dun. That? Yeah. Well, it says the guitar riff, so I, I assume that was in it. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Huh. I'd have to go back and get all my Run DMC albums out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the only one I have is uh, Walk This Way. Yeah, I don't have any. <laughs> Man... I think it that that was a weird one. Like I remember when I first heard that, I was like, "Joe Perry sounds like shit on this." He does. There's no. It's like they said he's like, "What? You guys got a guitar?" And they were like, "Oh yeah, my uh, little nephew's got this guitar sitting right here in the studio." (laughs) Yeah, well, here let's throw. Yeah, we'll do a track. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's like very underproduced and. I don't know. I don't like it. Or they were so fucking high on cocaine. Right. Yeah. 
man, did you ever hear that guy? Did I send you that stuff for that guy who toured with Joe Perry? Uh-uh. Um, uh, had a journal. Kenny Crespo? No. No, no, no. That's not, No, he took his place. No, he was the singer. In, he was like the On second Perry project? singer in the Joe Perry Project. Yeah. And, and he had a diary, like... The guy who did Let the Music Do the Talking or the next guy? It might have been the next guy. Might have been the next guy. But um, he wrote a book. He wrote a book. And uh, he did an interview with Michael Butler on the Rock and Roll Geek Show. And then he, he got some attention from that. And then he wrote a book because he had a diary of the whole tour or multiple tours. I don't know. But it's crazy stuff, man. Like Oh, I want to read that. Yeah. Crazy stuff like like I don't there's a story where like Joe Perry plays like the country club here in LA or something. I don't know if it's from him or my friend told me the story, but like he just like after the show went over to some people's house and hung out with them for like hours and just like smoked weed and drank and talked shit and uh-huh. like Joe Perry hanging out at your house because <laughs> it was just the Joe Perry project like he was like in between you know he wasn't he wasn't in Aerosmith anymore and he was kind uh-huh. of down and out and... kind of reminds me of that Randy Rhodes story in Rudy Sarzo's book where yeah yeah where Randy yeah. Randy goes over and they play guitar all night yeah 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 very similar yeah but he's got some great stories I mean Really great story. And this shit that happened to him is so sad, man. Like, dude, you know these fucking celebrities, the way they treat people. It's like, like when you're in the band with Joe, he's cool and you're cool and you're like, you know, you're helping him out. It's like it's like the dude who helped Ozzy. But what's that guy? Um, helped him get Randy in the band? Dana Strum. Dana Strum helping Ozzy. It was the same yeah. kind of shit, you know? Yeah. And then when it's time to get Aerosmith back together, it was just like Joe wouldn't even talk to him ever again. Like, not, like the friendship is just over. Wow. Like, you know, I think uh-huh. he mentions him in his book or something, but it's just like really kind of bums me out to even hear that story. Cause like, kind of treated like an ex-girlfriend that you can't go near anymore. Yeah, exactly, man. Exactly. It's It's really... It's really strange. There's really a wall between, you know, okay, Joe's down and now he's not an Aerosmith anymore, so he can hang with dudes like in, in a smaller band. But as soon as he's back in Aerosmith again, it's like, pfft. yeah, you're, you can't you can't even talk. Oh to yeah, him. like when he had no, like when he lost all his money and shit. Yeah, he talks which, about which happens all so many stuff. times. Yeah, yeah, when he's sleeping on other people's couches and shit, then he's then right. he's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was the greatest guy then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean he but he doesn't say anything bad about Joe. Like he doesn't. And I'm not trying to say anything bad about the guy really either. It's just it's just kinda harsh, you know. It's uh-huh. kinda harsh. This yeah. this whole celebrity thing. It's like it's just a it's a weird kind of dividing line between people. Yeah. Cool, man. That was fun. Yeah, hell yeah. I I just really thought that it would be 
I thought that it was an important album just because that song was such a fucking mega hit. It was, but it's a lot of the music on there was was so teeny bopping. It was hard for me to get excited about it. You know what I mean? I had to really go through and, you know, yeah. pick out the things I liked about it. I thought the I thought that most of the songs were weak. It wasn't as strong as I thought it was. The writing yeah, wasn't as strong as I thought yeah. it was. Yeah. And so I would have liked it to be a little more teeny bopper pop because it just wasn't it wasn't pop enough for me. Like I, I just thought the writing was not strong. And it, which is weird because I mean my Sharona is like one of the greatest songs ever written, mm-hmm. but it's like they got lucky with that shit. I don't know. Yeah. Right place, right time. But no, not really. That song no. transcends all that. You know what I mean? I think so. Yeah. I think that yeah. song is just magic, but you know, it's, yeah. it's weird how, it's weird how people get like one hit sometimes and, and they don't seem yeah. to really have songwriting skills, but they just knock it out of the park. He has songwriting skills, but it's just not like, it's not like the cars, you know? Yeah. So I could see why Rick Ocasek was pissed off because it's like, fuck, man, this guy's not as good a writer as me, you know? Yeah. Not even close. You remember it's Bob not... Welch? Yeah. With uh, Sentimental Winds and uh, I have those albums for you. Those are my albums. <laughs> I still have them. I want that back. I want that Bob Welch back. All right. <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. Uh, but yeah. Them. Yeah, the one that's got uh, Ebony Eyes on it. And yep. That's a good song. Yep. And if yeah. I got too close, I'd burn. And yep. his voice isn't all great, you know, but there's something really good about it. Dude, look look up Cal Jam 1 on YouTube and watch Bob Welch play. He's got Stevie Nicks right there with him singing backup. She's so uh-huh. fucking beautiful, man. Oh. He sounds so good. Like it's really good. It's really I'm good. I'm a Christine McVie man myself. Yeah, but she was beautiful. Well, yeah. I don't know if she was there. Uh, I think it, I think it was just Stevie was there, but yeah, I think so. Oh, bro, I was watching uh, Peter Frampton last night. Uh-huh. From it was he was Oakland Coliseum. I guess Oakland Coliseum. It said Oakland, 1977, and he was doing. Uh, Do you feel like we do? Uh-huh. And it wasn't as you know the, his sound and everything wasn't good like it is on the album, but uh-huh. uh, then he got behind the drums and started ripping the drums up. The wow. drummer went, the drummer went and got a drink, and then he, Peter Frampton started playing drums. He's pre- he's a pretty good drummer. Huh. Yeah. That's cool. Did you have Frampton comes alive? I can't remember. It seems like you did. Yeah, I did. I never listened to it. I never got into it. Oh, you did it? I love that you? album. Yeah. Yeah? Yep. I don't know why. QB and Yeah. It's weird. I wonder why. I don't know. You had Boston. I remember I have your Boston album. <laughs> <laughs> I remember listening to Boston, one of the first albums you played for me. I mean, uh-huh. really, discovering rock and roll was all done at your house. And all your albums, and like Boston was a huge one. And you know what's weird? As much as we love that first album, I never got into um, you know Don't Look Back a little bit, but like Third Stage, I don't know any of the songs off of that. No, 
except for maybe uh it's there's a party or whatever and uh or something um yeah i don't know yeah and then in the 90s they put out an album i remember it was like the long-awaited boston album and it was like i was working at a record store at that time and we put it on and it was like oh this fucking sucks i couldn't even wow. listen to it like in the 90s he put out some like total like like fucking winger sounding album just it was just it was wow. awful one of my all-time favorite guitar solos is Hitch a Ride. Yeah? Yeah. That fucking first album, the, the dude fucking recorded in his basement. That's, right. Maybe we should do that album. Yeah. Let's talk about that album. Yeah, and then you know what That's he would do. a crazy story. Yeah, when, they got the, when the record company signed them, they would, he'd have some of the band members at the record recording studio there while he would bring the, while he would be recording the album at home, right. but he would have them there in the studio like he was, you know, for the record company. And then when they, when it was time to master it, they switched the masters, so they mastered his. Right. Yeah. That's that's amazing, dude. Yeah. It's amazing that that dude had that talent because let me tell you, mixing, as you probably know, it's fucking hard. Yeah. You the know? record company insisted that they do it at their studio. Right. That's incredible, dude. And he knew he wasn't going to get what he wanted there, you know? And these guys are genius. Yeah. It's it's really... And that's really, him on um, the keyboard. I always thought they had a keyboard player. Really? Dude, all that they shit... They do, don't they? On the back no. of the album? No. I don't... Maybe they did on the album, but... He does it all live. He he did it all on that record. That's all him. Wow. All that all those badass keyboard licks. That's all him. He puts his guitar on the stand right there when he yeah. does long play and four time. Four, yeah. Long four play and long time. Uh-huh. And he fucking bangs it out, dude. That's all him. I always thought wow. they had a keyboard player. That was another band that that Kurt Cobain loved was was Boston and you know more than a feeling, fucking smells like Teen Spirit. If it stole anything, it was the more than the more than, more than a feeling riff. It's the same riff, oh, just a different key. Oh yeah, it is. Huh? Yeah, and he even used to play the intro. He would play it like Boston, and then he would switch it. He would start it out playing the Boston riff. Uh-huh. It's the same. It's the same rhythm. It's just different chords, and then he right. would change it into his riff, like after a couple times. At least no he did shit. it once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said that he liked Boston. Uh huh. <laughs> I mean, he was in, he was the same age as me, so he was actually like two weeks older than me, and he was into like Queen, News of the World. I'm sure he was into Kiss. I'm sure he listened to. Cheap trick, all the shit that we listen to, you know. Right, but right. But then what happened to him is he got into. He saw Black Flag play live, like when he was a teenager in the eighties, and he was just like it changed him and went full, you know. Got was that Henry Henry Rollins? Yeah, yeah. Oh wow! I think it was Henry Rollins. I mean, I don't, I don't know exactly what year that was, but it probably. I think it was because I think I remember reading that it was, but. That's kind of interesting. Huh. 
but yeah, he was like into Boston. The Sex Pistols, Steve Jones, I don't know, you probably heard him, his radio show. He used to talk about, he used to play Boston a lot. And he okay. would say, yeah, when I was in the Sex Pistols, I loved Boston, but I couldn't tell anyone because it was so uncool <laughs> oh, <really? laughs> for a punk to listen to that shit. Yeah. Uh-huh. He's like, we were into all that stuff, but we couldn't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> they had to put on an act like they hated that stuff. You know? Oh, 
So, this speech is my recital. I think it's very vital to rock around. That's right. On top. It's tricky. Here we go. It's tricky to rock around, to rock around. That's right. On time is tricky. It's tricky. 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 DMC, man, you ready to rock the house? Run DMC, Jessica? No, no. Run DMC, I know what Run You don't know what Run DMC? No, no. Here we go, it's Chicky Do Rock, 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 Do Rock,